Talk. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on the 2nd of November. This is Money Talk on Radio 3. Peter Lewis here with the day's business and finance headlines. The CEOs of some of the world's leading banks have gathered in Hong Kong to attend the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit, which started yesterday and continues through Thursday. Around 200 financial leaders from more than 100 institutions are here to attend the event, aimed at showing the city is back in business after the pandemic. The organiser of the forum, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, said it's a collective endorsement of the city's appeal as a global financial centre. Economic data released on Tuesday showed activity in China's private manufacturing sector remained in contraction last month. The Kaishin S&P Global Manufacturing PMI climbed to 49.2 in October from September's four-month low of 48.1 and slightly above analysts' expectations for 49. Retail sales in Hong Kong edged up in September, helped by eased pandemic restrictions, but the government warned that tightened financial conditions will pose a challenge for the outlook. Retail sales in September rose 0.2% from a year earlier in value terms to stand at 28.1 billion Hong Kong dollars, but that was much lower than the 1.7% growth projected by economists. And demand for US workers rebounded in September in a sign of a resilient labor market. The Labor Department's Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, known as JOLTS, released on Tuesday, showed employers added 437,000 job openings, bringing the total number of vacancies to 10.7 million at the end of September. And roughly 4.1 million workers quit in September, down from 4.2 million the prior month. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant Stuart Aldcroft, Dickie Wong, Head of Research at Kingston Securities, and RTHK's International Economics Correspondent, Barry Wood. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US stocks finished lower Tuesday ahead of the Fed decision as rate hike odds increased. All the major averages opened higher but turned negative after the jolts data showed a resilient labour market. The S&P 500 slid 0.4% to 3,856. The Dow fell 80 points, or 0.2%, to 30,653. The Nasdaq Composite shed 0.9% to 10,891. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index rose 0.6%. London's FTSE 100 jumped 1.3% higher. Hong Kong stocks surged more than 5% on Tuesday after ending October at the lowest level since April 2009. Stocks extended their gains in the afternoon session following unconfirmed social media posts that a committee was being formed to assess scenarios on how to exit COVID-0 and put together a conditional reopening plan. But stocks paired some of their gains after a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson said that he's not aware of a government committee to assess ways to exit zero COVID. The Hang Seng Index rebounded 768 points or 5.2% to 15,455. That's the biggest rally in a month. The city's tech index soared 7.8%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index jumped 2.6% to 2,969. 
Shares in Chinese property developer Sifi tumbled 25% in Hong Kong after it failed to reach agreement with offshore bondholders on a debt extension and suspended all offshore debt payments. The company has terminated all discussions with individual creditors and creditor groups offshore. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil settled 0.2% lower at 94,065 cents a barrel. Gold is trading 1% higher at $1,648 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield rose one basis point to 4.05%. And in the UK, the Bank of England sold £750 million of UK government bonds on Tuesday as it commenced its programme of asset sales to unwind the quantitative easing programme in which it bought almost £850 billion of gilts. The 10-year gilt yield fell six basis points to 3.46%. And in the currency markets... The euro this morning at 98 and three quarters of a cent. The buck's worth 147.89 Japanese yen. Sterling is trading at $1.14 and three quarter cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and two cents. Offshore yuan rose as much as 0.7% after falling to a 15-year low earlier in the session. And offshore yuan broke through the $7.35 mark at one stage. But then rebounded and is currently at 7.31. Bitcoin is at $20,400 and around Asia Pacific stock markets this morning uh, in Australia. The SX200 is up 0.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down about a quarter of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea has opened about half a percent lower and looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 130 points at the open. Eight oh nine. Let's go and welcome the posse this Wednesday morning. We have with us Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Allcroft. Morning to you, Stuart. Good morning to you, Peter, on this wet and windy day. It is indeed, isn't it? And we also have with us on this wet and windy morning Dickie Wong, head of research at Kingston Securities. Morning, Dickie. Good morning, Peter. And over in Washington D.C., our international economics correspondent Barry Ward. Morning to you, Barry. Good morning to you, Peter. Now, as we heard earlier, the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit has kicked off. The CEOs of some of the world's leading banks are here, about 200 financial leaders from more than 100 institutions, here to attend the event and show the city is back in business. After the pandemic, the HKMA says it's a collective endorsement of the city's appeal as a global financial centre. And the deputy CEO of the HKMA, Daryl Chan, told me on Wednesday that it's a sign that the rest to the rest of the world that Hong Kong is reconnecting and reopening. Let me ask you, Stuart, first of all, how significant is this uh, summit? Um, for Hong Kong, it's supposed to be very significant. I'm not sure that I totally agree. Um, start, let's start at the beginning, really. Um, this is obviously... was. Um, thought of by the Hong Kong government as um, a way in which to bring Hong Kong back to the rest of the world after the long period of uh, closure through COVID. Um, and so what they've done is to ask the Hong Kong Monetary Authority to pull together as many um, sort of very senior worthies from 
the fund management industry, banking, finance generally. Now, most of those that have been invited, many of the very senior people, would, would have been you know, delighted to turn up anyway because the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, which is one of the world's largest sovereign wealth funds, allocates money and assets to most of the fund managers who are in attendance. Mm. They, they have very large numbers of um, external assets. And so many of these institutions will manage money for them. So, so that in itself would have been a really good temptation as to why they would come. And quite rightly so, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority is a, is a very good client for them and, uh, and as a major institutional investor will want to know what these people are thinking about investment conditions around the world. They will also want to know what these people are thinking about uh, how Hong Kong sits in the rest of the world. They, they may get some uh, pretty sharp truths out of this because I don't suppose many of these people will be too bothered about saying uh, what they think in the circumstances. But it is a good way. Now, to what extent do those of us who didn't get an invite, those of us who, who are sitting on the sidelines um, watching it, to what extent do we get to know anything about it? Um, I, I'm not too clear. I know there's going to be TV coverage of it. The RTHK is giving coverage of it. But um, to what extent is this going to be affecting the average person on the street in Hong Kong? I, I, I'm far from clear, to be honest. Okay. Well, Dickie, what, what do you think? Did designed to show that Hong Kong is back. Did Hong Kong ever go away in the first place? Well, yes, Peter. Um, nothing can stop these high-profile summits. Uh, not the typhoon and not COVID. Nothing can stop this summit. Well, but at least this is a good thing because this is the first in all, almost three years in Hong Kong after protests, after uh, COVID, and basically after Hong Kong uh, shut down itself for almost three years. Um, so at least it's a, a good start to uh, attract more like senior officials from most of the most important investment banks. And um, these, I mean, HKMA at least start a good move. Mm. Uh, but in the longer term, it's another thing. Uh, because as we all know, China, uh, the Hong Kong local government tried very hard to uh, impose new, uh, if even introduce uh, new listing rules, not by uh, SFC, not by uh, um, the uh, the HKMA, but uh, by the Hong Kong government. I want to attract the uh, more uh, a big tech company, internet company, uh, to get listing their mm -hmm. listing in Hong Kong instead of other exchanges in the world. Well, in terms of the valuation, in terms of the performance of the Hong Kong stock market, this is not something easy. Mm. Because as we all know, anyone asks me, oh, why Hong Kong stock market performing like this and, and trading, sitting at a 13-year, 14-year low? Honestly speaking, um, I, I'm too shy to tell the, the whole um, story about the Hong Kong stock market, why we're trading at these well, kind I of low I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. I want to get on to specifically the performance okay. of the stock market. But let me ask you, because you work, obviously, in the financial markets. You're involved in the financial system here. Do you think Hong Kong has lost ground to Singapore or not? Well, honestly speaking, in terms of the, the IPO market, in terms of the stock market, I guess not. Uh, we, are, we are way ahead of Singapore still. But in terms of like asset management and other like 
and the tech sector, or mm. we're talking about even uh, other areas like even cryptocurrencies, uh, internet area. Yes, probably we are we are facing a serious challenge and okay. um, and competition from Singapore. There's no question asked. Okay. At least some of my friends, they they was uh, working mm. in Hong Kong. They're Hong Konger. They're expats. Now they are working in Singapore. This is uh, what I I've seen in the past couple of. Months okay, years. all right. Well, let, let me get Barry involved in this and, and get a U.S. Uh, perspective on this because Barry, this has this summit has attracted uh, some comment in the U.S. and and some uh, lawmakers. Uh, have been critical of the attendance of, of the heads of some uh, U.S. financial institutions at this uh, summit. Senator Jeff Merkley uh, and Democratic Representative Jim McGovern urged U.S. bankers to cancel the visit. And Mr. McGovern says the attendance only serves to legitimize the swift dismantling of Hong Kong's autonomy, free press and the rule of law by Hong Kong authorities acting along with the Chinese Communist Party. So what what are people saying in, in the U.S. and what's the feeling there about this and about Hong Kong's role? Well, I think they're saying very little. And those two members of Congress who you quote, they certainly wouldn't be at the top of the list in terms of having influence on Capitol Hill. So I would say there's been almost a muted, almost silent United States response. There's been nothing from the Treasury. There's been nothing from the Federal Reserve. I think to go back to your initial question, Peter, it's excellent that people get together. And it's uh, after three years, it's almost essential that they do so. I really appreciate what Stuart and Dickey were saying about the nature of this gathering, which I, I think is very important. And mm. let's hope it goes well. I'm going to be watching to see what Bloomberg News does with it, because they have a very large team in their their base in Hong Kong, and if they give it a lot of prominence, that, that will uh, get the American public talking about it. But so far, not at all. And is, is Hong Kong still seen in, in the U.S. as a major international financial center? Well, I think it is, certainly within the financial community. But uh, the overriding political decline of United States-China relations and the clampdown on the democracy movement in Hong Kong, what, two, three, over the last two or three years, uh, that resonates with people. And, and mm. in that sense, the average person is not talking about Hong Kong. Okay. Um, Stuart, let me ask you about one area where um, this summit is focusing on and the government has focused on, and that's wealth management. And it's probably true to say that Singapore does have a lead there, doesn't it? And the government has said it wants to open uh, 200 family offices in Hong Kong. Is this an area that we should be focusing on and trying to catch up on? Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, but I'd, I'd like to sort of go back as well to um, respond on, on the question you asked Dickie too. Is Hong Kong losing business to Singapore? Um, the truth of it is, yes, they are. Uh, yes, we are. And, and we have seen a number of fund management companies especially um, move their regional headquarters or move, move senior people from Hong Kong to Singapore over the last year or two. But the reason for that is not what um, most people would have imagined. Um, it's because Hong Kong is 
ideal setup for giving access to China. It is a perfect location to get into China. And for the last two or three years, apart from COVID, it's been very, very difficult for any companies to try to develop their business in China. Mm. And um, although China is uh, uh, said to be opening up with all sorts of connect schemes, those haven't really worked very well. Um, not for the fund management industry. Uh, Stock Connect works well, Bond Connect works very well, but um, Wealth Management Connect is very slow, Mutual Recognition Funds very slow, and ETF Connect is very slow. So these are the things that would affect the fund industry, and they're they're not being developed as quickly as they could be, mainly because of restrictions being imposed on the Chinese side. And then fund management companies getting licenses in China has more or less stopped. The first one got it two or three years ago, and then there's a queue of about four or five companies that have been waiting for a couple of years. And and without that development, um, it is uh, discouraging companies from moving forward. But come back to the issue you're talking about. Family offices, yes, there's a massive um, demand for creation of family offices. And and Singapore um, is way ahead of Hong Kong in that because they've um, uh, created some really attractive propositions there with uh, lower tax than Hong Kong is uh, applying. Um, And, and of course, the attraction is really from uh, from getting Chinese families' money to move. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of Chinese families will view Hong Kong as still being part of China, and therefore the purpose of setting up a family office in Hong Kong is not moving the money beyond China's reach whereas Singapore is beyond China's reach, and therefore that's making it Mm -hmm. more attractive. Hong Kong, on the other hand, does get family office money from many other parts of the region, uh, because it is, as as we all know, it is still um, the leading financial center of the region. And and so, um, and it doesn't lose anything um, because of these changes. Okay. Dickie, let's get on to the markets then. Um, it's been quite a remarkable few days, hasn't it? We had um, a dreadful um, October for Hong Kong shares. The Hang Seng down 15%. Contrast the Dow, which was up 14% uh, in the same right. month. And then we get this 5% uh, plus rally yesterday on this rumour that uh, there's going to be this committee uh, set up uh, in the mainland to look at ways of exiting uh, zero COVID. So first of all, let me ask you about that. I have to emphasise, it is just a rumour, isn't it? But it's never... just a rumour at the moment. Well, honestly speaking, when I uh, heard uh, this show so post, um, it's, it's something that's quite opposite to my thinking, because um, when we uh, just uh, go, go back to uh, just, uh, just a week of time, and when we heard what the presidency have said, um, zero COVID policy will be the main policy mm. of mainland China. So it is really something that opposite uh, to what presidency uh, have just said. Um, mm. So um, in terms of this rumor, or maybe we, are, uh, we have been waiting for so long for a serious rebound. Peter, have you, you have just mentioned uh, the Dow actually last month proposed um, the, the best month performance since 1976. But Hong Kong stock market is, was still sitting at a 13-and-a-half-year low. When we talk about valuation of the, the stock market, even we simply just talk about the 73 uh, index components, we talk about Hang Seng Index. Yes, uh, the valuation is ex- 
extremely low, even lower than some of the fair markets in the past. Uh, but nothing really can help the situation. Finally, yesterday, the opening of the summit, uh, the shut up 5% of the stock market, at least probably, maybe, we have tested uh, the low of this year and uh, a rebound of yesterday. It's, we have been anticipated for a very long time. But in the longer term, it's another thing. As we all know, yes, um, most of the uh, senior officials from U.S. and Europe and everywhere else, they come together in Hong Kong. This is at least a good start, as I have just said. But um, something that, um, like the tension between China and U.S., the addiction of the uh, holding foreign company accountable act, uh, will not uh, basically will not stop. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this is also remain some some of the uncertainty. Do you, and, do you think, uh, Dicky? Let me let me ask you. Just because, from what we saw on on that rumor, it does tend to suggest, doesn't it, that maybe the thing, the one thing that would change the whole outlook for uh, Hong Kong's financial markets, also for the economy on the mainland, and even the global macroeconomic outlook, is if China was to get rid of this zero COVID policy. Exactly. I, I totally agree. But I don't expect this will uh, happen in the short time period. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely will. Yes, the economy will reopen in mainland or even in Macau. But you can see the situation now. Okay, if there are a few cases in Macau, they have to test everyone in Macau. Mm-hmm. And uh, if someone in the factory uh, got COVID, they have to uh, they have to sh- not shut down a, the, the, the factory, but everyone has to stay inside the factory. You cannot go back home. So this is still the, the policy that mm-hmm. uh, the China and, and Macau and uh, still uh, still believing. Okay. And, um, in, in terms of the the stock market, it's an obviously another thing. Uh, as we all know, Hong Kong is uh, a very energetic city. Uh, open to everywhere, and um, we can have uh, like um, stock connect money uh, from mainland and everywhere else. Basically, we, we have a very good, uh, I mean, financial infrastructure. But yes, um, also affected by a, a lot of um, things, not uh, not limited, but also like the monetary policy, the Federal Reserve. The high okay. interest rate me, uh, environment also play important role. So let me let me get let me get on to some of them. Let me let me ask Barry because over in the US you had a great uh, month of October. The S and P five hundred uh, up eight uh, percent for the month. It seemed to be Barry that there was part of this was there's an anticipation. Uh, that the Fed is going to pivot soon away from these aggressive interest rate rises and take a pause. But then we got that. Uh, Jolt's data uh, yesterday, the the job survey, which tended to suggest that uh, the economy and the the labour market is still looking pretty strong, which sort of rather goes against uh, the idea of a Fed pivot. So what what do you make of it? Well, yes, there won't be a pivot until December. That is uh, anticipated, and I think that is correct. But the big data points this week will be the Federal Reserve in less than 24 hours and you know they're going to raise rates 75 basis points and then the unemployment employment report that comes out on Friday and if we get a very strong employment report that may suggest that in December the Fed would go up again mm-hmm. another 75 basis points instead of the expected 50 but you know let's face it the numbers you mentioned from the jolts 
that suggests that we've still got a strong economy. Okay. And where does this all end? It looks like now um, the Fed Fund Futures markets are, are suggesting that uh, interest rates are going to be 5% by, by February, way above what people were talking about uh, just a few months ago. Where, where does this all come to an end and how does it come to an end? Well, you're quite right. Look, uh, we're going to be at 3.75% on Fed funds tomorrow. And uh, whether they go to 5%, that seems high to me. But I think it ends when we see a slowdown in the economy. Hmm. And that's why the Powell press conference on Wednesday is important, because that will preview what the Fed is going to do in December. But they're trying to slow the economy. And thus far, even with high rates, you mentioned those remarkable gains in the month of October, but we're in a bear market. We've been in a bear market through all of 2022. We'll see. Okay. Stuart, let me get your thoughts then on some of the Hong Kong data that we had. We had that awful GDP data uh, showing the uh, the economy shrank 4.5% year on year in the third quarter. So it looks almost inevitable. It is inevitable, isn't it, that the economy is going to contract again uh, for this year as a whole, which will be the third year now out of the last four years that our local economy has contracted. What on earth is, is going wrong? Well, first of all, it's no surprise that the economists' forecasts were completely wrong in terms of the <laughs> actual figure. Um, they're, they're, they're very rarely right. Um, and it was pretty obvious to most observers, at least um, the ones around this, this studio, and that, um, yeah, and the economy is not doing terribly well it, with COVID and the impact of no tourism. Um, it was inevitable that the Hong Kong economy would decline. And I think you know, probably the best thing that could happen for Hong Kong is to get all of this out of the way before the end of 2022, because 2023 could start very positively for Hong Kong um, with, with you know, a, a change of attitude. I think China, um, who knows whether they will ever get out of zero COVID. I doubt it very much because of the, as you've said, uh, President Xi Jinping has made it his policy. And um, and, and, and so that's going to be a difficult one. But the Hong Kong economy has the opportunity of bouncing back, and, and it could bounce back much more to do with being in the region as opposed to just simply being the conduit to China. Um, and and that's, that's what it's got to focus on a fair bit. Dickie, what, what do you think? Do you think there's cause for optimism, despite obviously the, the economy is going to contract once again this year? Some economists saying um, around 3% uh, decline now. But do you see cause for optimism in the fourth quarter and going into next year? Well, the city's um, GDP consecutively down for three quarters. Well, honestly speaking, um, first of all, zero plus three policy obviously is a good start, definitely. Uh, but it will help uh, not attract a tourism from abroad, from everywhere else, but uh, let Hong Kong people to escape the city, honestly speaking. I will go to Japan in November, and I will go to Vancouver and Toronto in December. Mm. So this is me. Uh, honestly speaking, I will wait for like the zero plus zero policy. If zero plus zero policy, and then China tends to uh, reopening, connect with Hong Kong, and re- reopening to everywhere else, it will be a very significant rebound in Hong Kong uh, economy. But uh, in the fourth quarter, I do believe that uh, when we talk about retail market and even um, manufacturing or other um, in sector in, in mainland, um, the, the growth is, is somehow is diminishing. 
uh, because of zero COVID policy. So it may not really help uh, the situation at all in Hong Kong. But in the longer term, at least I can see um, the policy played by, uh, I mean, introduced by uh, uh, the new chief executive in Hong Kong, at least uh, definitely make a very bright and good start. So okay. we'll see, and I really okay. hope that uh, the Hong Kong economy will uh, rebound maybe next year. As we all do. Thank you very much, Dickie. That's Dickie Wong, Thank you. Head of Research at Kingston Securities. You also heard Stuart Allcroft, Asian Fund Management Industry Consultant, and our International Economics Correspondent in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look around the markets this morning. In Australia, the SX200 is up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 0.1%, as is the Cosby in South Korea. And looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 130 points at the open. Thank you very much for listening. Do please tune in again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll be back with Money Talk once again. Uh, coming up after the news is Back Chat with Jadis Wong. And Brian Wong, the weather forecast. Uh, strong north to northeasterly winds, occasional gale force offshore those winds are going to strengthen uh, during the day and the showers will become more frequent as well temperatures going to linger around 21 degrees going to be windy at first tomorrow and then the rain will ease off sunny intervals in the following couple of days the strong wind signal number three is in force it's 19 degrees and it's 86 percent relative humidity and the time's 8.31. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. The observatory says the strong wind signal number three will remain in effect before noon, and it will consider issuing the number eight gale or storm signal between noon and 2 p.m. as severe tropical storm Nalgi nears Hong Kong. Here's the observatory's senior scientific officer, Chung Ping. According to the latest forecast track, Nalgay will be very close to the vicinity of the Pearl River estuary later today, skirting within around 150 kilometers to the south of the territory. Local winds will then change gradually from northerlies to easterlies. Local winds will strengthen further. Although Nalgay will weaken gradually, its degree of weakening remains uncertain. Under the influence of the outer ring bands of Nalgay, showers over the territory are expected to become more frequent. Schools across the territory are suspended today. Some bus services provided by the Kowloon Motor Bus Company, as well as some ferry routes, are also suspended. Some of the biggest names in finance are taking part in today's Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit, despite the inclement weather, with the government hoping the event will send out the message that Hong Kong's status as a financial hub remains as robust as ever. The gathering is one of the initiatives aimed at promoting the SAR to the international community, with Hong Kong also holding FinTech Week and the Rugby Sevens. Stephen Phillips is the Director General of the government's investment promotion arm, Invest Hong Kong. All of these events alone are global in nature, but combining them, um, I think, will really send out this very strong message to business communities and um, wider communities across the world and amplify the message by those that have been here that Hong Kong really is well and truly open for business. The new head and owner of Twitter, Elon Musk, has suggested the site will charge $8 a month to verify users' accounts. The billionaire entrepreneur tweeted that the new plan would upend what he called the current lords and peasants system and create a new revenue stream for the site. He wants to make the network less reliant on advertising. 
Previously, Twitter would hand out the blue ticks to profiles it considered worthy. Britain's former health secretary, Matt Hancock, has been suspended from the governing Conservatives after announcing he'll feature in a reality television elimination show filmed in Australia. Mr. Hancock resigned last year after hidden cameras revealed he broke coronavirus lockdown rules with an extramarital affair. The MP said previous instability in the government meant he'd turned down an earlier chance to appear in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Brian Wong. Good morning, Brian. Morning. On today's program, we're looking at how the economy affects mental health. Some NGOs recently collaborated on a survey that 